Hi, my name is Lena Abujamra, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. It is so great to have you back. As uh, usual, we meet every week, and we rotate through Dear Lena episodes where I talk about life, faith, and culture, and many of you have sent me questions that I've addressed, and I just love doing that. But every so often, as you've now gotten a pretty good beat with this, uh, we get a great guest that comes across across my path. And I just am so excited today to introduce you to a new friend of mine, a topic that honestly, we have not hit up on this podcast yet, surprisingly, because it's been in the news and it's been a topic that has been um, on my mind and I've wanted to talk about it a little bit more. So I'm really glad to introduce to you my friend, Laura Perry. I want to tell you a little bit about her before she comes on here, but she is a former transgender woman whose message of transformation through Christ to restore her feminine identity can relate to those who struggle and have transitioned um, and those in the church who want to reach them. And so um, that's a lot basically to say that she is a woman who tried to become a man and who's now a woman. And that's my ER sort of um, explanation of all of that. And so we're going to talk about her story. Uh, She has an amazing testimony, but we're also going to try to understand um, transgenderism and how to love people who are struggling with specifically this area of, um, of sexuality and identity. Laura has written uh, some, a book about her story. It's called Transgender Transformed. We'll tell you more about it as uh, we go on here. And I had the privilege of meeting her um, recently uh, in Oklahoma, of all places, which is, I think, where you live, Laura. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I live in Oklahoma City. Well, wow. To, I mean, I think it's hard enough to, to go through this sort of story and life anywhere, but even more so in Oklahoma, right? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely not a uh, a trans-friendly culture at the time, but I lived, it actually was an advantage in a, a small way at the time because nobody really suspected it here. It mm. wasn't open and I, I could live sort of under the radar. So I'm at a bit of a, an edge because I, I just came from a conference where I heard, I saw the movie that the documentary that I, I don't know if is that available, by the way, we'll post it on our uh, podcast notes. Is that documentary for public uh, viewing uh, anywhere online? Um, that was just a six minute video and it is available um, on, I know it's on Facebook. I'm not sure where all it's been posted. That is what, it is an extremely powerful documentary that summarizes briefly your story. But I also have this advantage of hearing you speak and tell your story, which was just an incredibly moving uh, testimony. But I want to really introduce you to our this audience, my audience here with this podcast. And so uh, I think probably the best is for you to tell us um, sort of a bit of the background. Now, I, maybe we'll catch it with the story of you maybe being in college and when did you first start going through this identity? Cause you grew up very feminine and really for all intents and purposes, like a regular Christian girl, tell us a bit about that. And when you started struggling with identity issues. Well, I really grew up pretty tomboy. I don't know if I was feminine, but I've really, as a young child, I grew up in a Christian home and I heard about the Lord all the time. I was in Christian school. And so it was just 24 seven, but I always felt like I was forced to be a Christian. I never felt like it was a choice I could make. Um, I didn't understand. And it was like um, because I was born into a Christian family that I I had no other choice. And so there was some anger even in that, that I think. Hmm. Um, But as a a young child, I I didn't get along well with my mom. We had, you know, just very different personalities. And there was a lot of problems. I was much, much closer to my dad. And very early in life, began to perceive this rejection from my mom. Now that I'm older, I recognize that it wasn't my mom's fault, you know, um, mm. that, you know, there was a lot of misunderstandings and she loved me kind of in a different way. She was always doing a lot for me, 
but not really spending a lot of time with me. Um, and But it created a lot of confusion. But I can tell you that once I really embraced that lifestyle years later, I didn't see any causality. I didn't see any reason that I felt this way. I just remembered feeling this way as a boy and being very, very young. And I remember being in kindergarten and being jealous of the boys and, and wanting to go into the boys' bathroom instead of the girls' bathroom. Or, you know, I was, I would spend all of my uh, recess time playing with the boys and playing sports. And mm. uh, so there was a lot of confusion, I think, early on. And the more that I began to act like a boy, because I, my, my mom was a lot closer to my older brother. And I thought, you know, maybe mom wishes I had been a boy. So the more I acted like a boy, the more girls began to reject me. Hmm. And so it, it distanced me further from, from girls. And I was involved in things with girls. Like I was involved in Girl Scouts, but I always felt like I was kind of on the outside of them. I remember this constant pervasive feeling of I'm not one of them. And just various things are, I remember them. Siblings, you were the only girl among your siblings? No, I had an older sister as well, but she was eight years older. And it was just the three of us, but um, she was quite a bit older. And we just we really had no relationship at all. Um, I, I really don't have much memory of my sister. And how would you say, adulthood. even before we get into like the more serious identity stuff you went through, like there's a lot of girls that may be listening to this podcast that grow up as a top. I mean, I remember I liked sports growing up. Yeah. Did you, could you tell even looking back, was it, were you just a regular like girl who liked sports or could you already see something a little bit more? Like, was there a way to predict sort of the path that you would end on for some time or, or, how is it different from just being a regular tomboy and liking sports? Yeah, I think if it had just been that and there hadn't been um, some of the relational issues, and especially once I started acting a lot more like a boy um, and then perceiving that rejection from girls. I mean, I really I didn't know that there was anything wrong until I was just very sporty and I thought that was normal for girls. And, you know, I think it is for a lot of girls. And yeah. it was a very normal childhood uh, until there I remember specifically, like, for example, I would um, play with the boys a lot when I was younger and uh, like at recess. But then once they got a little too older or a little bit older, like, you know, 12, 13, uh, just prior to puberty, it wasn't cool to play with the girls anymore. Mm. You know, then girls were starting to become an attraction instead of somebody that you wanted to be your friend. And so some of the boys started really distancing themselves from me. And that really began to hurt me as well as I began to like, wait a minute, but I don't feel comfortable with the girls. And so there was this disconnect there, but I think it's very normal for, for girls uh, to, to not know, you know, what it, what it means to be a girl. Is it okay to like sports and that kind of thing because of these stereotypes Yeah, uh, in, in our culture. But I, I think if I hadn't had some of the relational issues with my mom and my sister and other things, I think I would have just been a normal tomboy. And so what now in high school, you sort of hit some rebellion or. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was 14, I found out, well, and I had been, I, I should mention probably that I had been molested when I was eight mm. uh, by another boy. And so it created this intense jealousy of boys as well. And that, but I didn't know what to do about it back then. I mean, transgenderism was not really heard of it. I had not even heard the word. So I didn't have a grid for like what to do about this. How old are you too, just to give people a sense of what era were you born in? Uh, I'm in my 40s, so you're younger than I am. 20s, 30s? Yes. Uh, no, I'm 38. Okay. And um, but so I was born in 82. So this is like in the 
uh, late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. And, but I remember the only thing I had seen is on a daytime talk show. One time I had seen these men that were dressing as women, but they still lived as men. Most of these were just, they, they would cross dress. But I remember seeing this right. and being confused about, you know, well, maybe it would be okay to dress like the opposite sex, but I really, I, I didn't think there was anything I could do about these feelings. And so there was this, there was this really intense jealousy. I was very, very jealous of my brother, not only because he was a boy, but he was extremely popular. Um, and the the girls really liked him. And I remember even in youth group, I, I thought I finally had friends and was fitting in at church because I'd always had a hard time fitting in at church for, I don't really know the reasons, but um, my first year in youth group, all these girls were paying so much attention to me and they were so nice to me. And my brother graduated the next year because he was several years older. And then all of a sudden these girls didn't want anything to do with me. <laughs> you know, it's it a typical Christian youth group. Too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I found out that they just liked my brother yeah. and they were hoping that I would uh, tell them how nice they were. Uh, so <laughs> it was fun. I know it's so sad because now you were, you were interpreting it so differently. Probably you felt so rejected. Right. After you left. Right. Yeah, I remember just the rejection of girls and the rejection of um, Christians and just this deep wound from that. And when I was 14, I found out that I, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which meant that there were cysts all over my ovaries. And so that I, I thought, okay, I have this body that God has created female. And it's, you know, I don't want to be female in the first place because I felt really rejected as a girl. So I'm like, mm-hmm. and I had this idea that, boys were loved and girls weren't like we were always kind of at their mercy um one it started when I was molested the boy really rejected me after that Mm. you know and it wasn't like this was some big scary experience like I'd seen on tv or heard of or something you know this was my friend's brother and so it was a very strange experience and then you know, I still wanted to be friends and there was a real rejection from him. Was and so that a secret? You kept it a secret or was it something? Absolutely. That- yeah. I didn't tell anybody until I was uh, in my thirties. Wow. And so I, I had this deep, dark secret for one, but, and I became very sexually promiscuous after that. And I think that's a lot of the reason I wasn't fitting in at church because I was hiding all of this. And I began to be feel very distant from them. And I think secret sin always separates us from God and from other believers, not because God has rejected us, but because we hide like Adam did in the garden. Yeah. You know, but I, so I thought I have this body that I don't want in the first place because it's, it's not good to be female. And then I, I have this condition that's causing me nothing but pain. And then they were telling me I was likely never going to get pregnant. And I thought, well, if God did, made me this way on purpose, then God's just a jerk. Mm. And that's what I began to believe about myself and about God. And so I decided that I was never going to serve God again. I was about 16. And you I told dear, when, you, when you talk about being promiscuous, you were promiscuous as a female with men, correct? Or Yes. yes. So you still weren't yeah. acting out even any lesbian feelings at the time. No. And I really, it was weird over the years. I, because I still didn't understand um, the word transgender, or I didn't have any knowledge of people um, quote changing sexes. I've learned now it's not real, but you know, even for what we perceive to be changing sexes, I, I still didn't have any knowledge of that. And I didn't want to be I didn't want to be a lesbian because I, I wanted, honestly, I really wanted to be my brother. Yeah. Um, I was jealous of him. And so it, I still wanted that heterosexual relationship, I think. Mm. 
Mm. But I think I did pursue girls at times looking back, but it wasn't an attraction to the female body. It really was. I, I want, I was always pursuing girls that were into boys. So it was like, I, I wanted to win my friend or whoever it was at the time. It was usually like a best friend. And I was always trying to win her away from the boy as a way to validate me as a man. Mm. So you go to college after yours. Like, was that like you kept that all this stuff that you were? Well, it, was, it was you got quite promiscuous from my yeah. from your testimony. Your parents were aware, or was that all secret still until you left for college? No, most of it was really secret. I, I think they knew they knew I was sexually active, but they didn't have any idea the depths of it. And it started um, in high school, and it got a lot worse in college. I especially through pornography addiction, you know, and that's something that I want the church to start talking about. I know it's an uncomfortable subject, but the statistics of the amount of people that are involved in porn is overwhelming. Some statistics have shown up to 70% of men in church, and I forgot the percentage on women, but it's actually uh, growing for women as well. Right. I, I recently went to a conference where a young girl told me um, she had been called to be a missionary, and she had this great calling on her life, and she was an amazing young girl. But she'd been struggling with a pornography addiction um, since she was 13. Wow. And she was so ashamed and she didn't have anyone to talk to. And she told me she'd never heard an adult talk about it. Wow. And I'm like, we, the reality is these kids, especially because of the technology, have been exposed at such young ages. And pr- pornography is such a lie of the devil. We think that we can just watch it and we're not hurting anybody because we're not actually out there having sex. But the reality is the studies have shown that pornography addiction has the same effect on the brain as a cocaine addiction. It, it literally destroys the brain and it, and it never, it never stays where you open the door. Like you might start with something that's called soft porn or something like that, but there's always this downward slide. And I've talked to so many people that after several years, they are in so deep and they're watching stuff that a lot of times is not legal um, or, you know, just stuff that's more and more edgy and it's never enough. And people well, start and now, watching. Like, to your point, I mean, it's so available and so secretive in a sense. Like everybody has a phone. Everybody, and I agree. And yeah. I think I'd say even higher than 70% in men and, and, and quickly, rapidly rising in women. And really yeah. it was the gateway for you, like it didn't stay in in just the, the internet. It was like it moved from that to real life. So it's like sort of, sort of your gateway down a spiral to what ended up being just horrible, horrible life for a while. Right. Yeah. In fact, because I, because the porn wasn't enough after a while, I got into virtual sex games and then I started needing that in real life. And I was having a hard time at the, at the time I had gained some weight in college and I was having a hard time getting a boyfriend. And so I, I joined an adult hookup site and I began going and seeing random men all over the state. Wow. And it was, I, I became so ashamed and I felt so dirty were you and functioning would, well at the time, meaning like you would do this at night, then you were in college, like acting like a proper yeah. during the day or, or were you? Yeah. Wow. No, like nobody knew anything. I had stopped going to church, uh, but I, you know, I seemed like a normal girl, but at night on many nights I was either in porn or I was um, going and meeting random men all over Oklahoma. Wow. It's and amazing. I remember like I mean, on the way there, there, there would be this excitement in this buildup and on the way home, I would feel so dirty and so ashamed. Wow. And so what, and so it was around that, like at some point it was too much. And then you started questioning, like, we, like, like by now I'm guessing this is like, 
now people are talking more about transgenderism. And I mean, certainly there's a more familiarity with it. Like when did you just start the path of thinking through, hey, maybe I like girls or maybe I want to be a guy. Where did that idea come back into play? Yeah, it, it was in 2007. And really, even then, it still wasn't being talked about a lot. But I was getting more and more desperate. I was getting so broken. And I think, you know, the the Bible tells us that the two become one flesh when um, when we're having sex with someone. And it's it's something much deeper spiritually than, mm. than just a physical act. And so I think my soul was just getting fractured. I was losing my sense of identity. And I remember at one point, I, these men were just treating me horribly. I mean, just, you know, I would tell them there was no strings attached, but I was always secretly hoping that one mm. of them would love me. And I remember, you know, the, I'm thinking the reason that this never works out, the reason I'm never happy in these relationships is because I was supposed to be the man. Mm. You know, if I was the man, then I would show these men how a woman's supposed to be treated. And I had all these fantasies about being this um, man that would really treat a woman well. And I think, I, I think I was desperately trying to become that which I couldn't get for myself. It was like, if I can't have that, then I'm going to become that. Mm. And so, and so you slowly started taking on this look. I mean, I saw the pictures at the conference. You went from looking at, at one point in high school when I met, maybe you were a tomboy, but there was a picture your mom had in the testimony video where you're very feminine looking. And then suddenly you go to college and you basically look very butch at some point. Yeah. I had totally uh, cut off my hair and I was wearing chest binders and I was trying so hard to look like a man. And I, I began taking the hormones. How do you go from, okay, I'm a college student, I'm having casual sex with guys, to I think I'm going to take hormones to turn into a guy. I mean, what how, what was the pivot there? How did, it, did it, Was the idea planted in your head slowly, suddenly? Were you thinking about your parents at all during that time, how they would react? Like, walk me through a little bit of that process. Sure. Yeah, I think because I'd had those thoughts for most of my childhood. And it was like when I started struggling with all of this and I started to think, you know, it's because I was supposed to be the man. It's like, oh my goodness, it all makes sense. I remember feeling this way as a child. And I didn't, like I said earlier, I, I didn't see the cause of any of this. I, I didn't understand the relationship with my mom or my sister or the rejection from the girls. All I remembered was all the feelings of wanting to be a boy. And I had, like for years, I had written stories as a child and um, as if I had been a boy. Mm. Um, and I would play video games with male characters. And so I, I begin to remember all these things and all these feelings. And that's all I remembered. And I think this is often just the, the way that the devil works. You know, it's like, we don't know what to do with our brokenness. The Lord wants us to come to him and let him heal us. But we're just sort of like, we're a mess and we don't know why. And then the devil, um, he knows what he can bring in to like offer a solution. And so this was like, because of all this in my childhood, it, it all came flooding back. And I literally, I, I had never heard the word transgender, but I looked up in Google, girl becoming a boy, just to like, see if anybody felt like I did. And I was amazed when all these results popped up and there was a local support group in, in my home, in my, I was living in Tulsa at the time. Wow. And I was like, wow, there's other people right here in my own city and they're, they've changed sexes. I was like, this might actually be possible. So you showed so up the guts to show up to the group? Yeah, I, I went to the first group and I was excited. And I remember the first meeting within five minutes of meeting me, the leader of the group who was also a female to male transgender, uh, she said, 
you know, don't worry about it in a year or no. She said, oh, you are definitely transgender. I was like, I knew it, you know. And once I heard that, it was like, I was born this way. I was meant to be this way. Wow. Something, and I began to believe that maybe something genetically had happened. Maybe something had happened in the womb. People, transgender people come up with all kinds of theories on why they're born this way. And they become convinced that they're born that way. Was there any voice in that season when you were, now I know you fell out of talking with your parents for a while. Was Mm -hmm. there a voice of conscious or sort of a, anybody saying to you, dude, you're, you're looking a little, until you, I know your parents show up to college and they're sort of shocked at the time. We'll get to that in a second. But like, but like, who was speaking truth into you at that point? Was anyone or were you just completely out of touch with the church and any Christians? Yeah, I was really out of touch with Christians altogether because uh, I had moved a couple of years earlier. I had moved to Tulsa from my hometown about an hour away, and I didn't have any of those same connections. And I had only gone to church the first week. And after that, I I wasn't going to church at all. So I I really had no Christians in my life. But the one person that um, had the opportunity, the very first thing I had to do before I could start taking the hormones, I was required to go to a licensed therapist. And I had to have a minimum of three sessions. And then I was supposed to get a a diagnosis of gender identity disorder that I could then take to a doctor to get hormones. And in the third session, she kind of put down her notebook. She It's like she stopped for a minute. She looked right in my eyes. And she said, wow, you really have issues with your mom. Hmm. And I was stunned. I was like, wait a minute. How do we get from talking about me feeling like a man or you know, wanting to be a man to talking about my mother? I was really mad. I was like, I'm not here to talk about my mom. And I blew up at her. And she said, so you're just here for this diagnosis. And I, I think she thought that I was actually winning counseling. I said, no, I'm, I, all I want is to get this diagnosis and to start my transition. That's all I want. And she said, okay. And she just gave me what I wanted. Wow. How old were you? Uh, no, I was 25. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, so I was actually I was in college. I had I stretched out my college quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love awesome. school. <laughs> yeah, and so what were you studying, by the way, out of curiosity? Uh, well, I changed my major several times. That was part of the problem. Uh, but mostly, I studied computers. Uh, I, okay. I did a lot of programming. Wow. So you, well, you start doing the, the hormones, and you're joining a group. Now you're no longer just having sex with guys. Now you transition into same sex attractions. Yeah. Well, I actually, most of the time I was still attracted to men, but I, I wanted a girlfriend because I wanted um, to be a normal man. And that's what I perceived as being a normal man. So I actually ended up dating an, a man that was living as a woman. Mm. So we were both transgender. It's interesting. I've seen that actually on Twitter. Like a lot of couples have that mm-hmm. on both sides, which has intrigued me before. Like, man, like it seems like it's defeating the purpose. Like you could have, st- but it's, I understand what you're, I understand what you're saying. Like the more you tell us about the sort of emotional aspect of what's behind it, it makes sense. And so how, what was the gap between like when your parents saw you and then saw you again? Cause they show up and they're like in for a shock. Like, tell me about that experience. Your mom talks about it in the documentary. Yeah, I don't remember how many months it had been. Uh, we weren't in close contact, so it was it was really common for it to be several months before they saw me. I think it had probably been maybe eight or nine months. So they, I had already been on hormones for several months that first time they saw me. 
And they were like, were you nervous about seeing them? Because like your mom was like to hear her side, she was, she's a Christian Bible teacher, right? I mean, so she shows right. up like, she, she doesn't even understand the trans stuff from what I could gather, but she just sees no. her dog went from being like a girl to a guy. And so, and she says that to you, like, were you nervous about meeting them? Was that you're coming out? Like, were you coming to meet them, to tell them like, here's what's going on? Or were you like, just assuming, I, I don't know, what were, you, what were you thinking, I guess? A little bit, but really at the time, I think, I had become so narcissistic and everybody that I've known that has lived in this lifestyle, uh, you become obsessed with that image and that identity. And it's all I thought about everything in life was sort of affirming that. And I really, I had distanced myself so much. I had completely cut my parents out of my life kind of emotionally. I'm the only reason I was ever around them was uh, sort of as an obligation, but I didn't really want them in my life. And in fact, that night, you know, they kind of blew up at me and they, looking back, they really did not act hatefully. Like I, you know, I wanted to tell people, I had told people that they're being hateful. I knew that they loved me and I remember them weeping and crying and begging me not to do this. But the, the truth was I wanted them out of my life because I didn't want the conviction. Just being around them reminded me of the sin I was living in. Well, and so this is intriguing to me because many, I mean, I do generally have a Christian audience in this podcast and I'm, I'm thinking even of my friends who have kids who are struggling with identity issues. So it's such an interesting balance. Like on one hand, you know, they, you know, you don't want to have much to do with them because you feel like it's going to be, and I guess convicting. Many parents are trying to befriend kids who are going through sexual identity issues and gender identity issues. Like, I, I wonder even now we're thinking about it, like, I don't know what the right approach is. Cause had they been very like, what if they had said to you, man, this is great. You can be who you want to be. We love you anyway. You know, this is Christ's love. Like I sympathize with parents who take that approach, but you almost wonder, is that the right approach? I don't know. Would you, do you have anything to say about that? Or is that very individualized? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's very individualized for the most part. I, I think, you know, each kid is different. There are some that they really do want that relationship with their parents. I really didn't. And I really was just trying to appease them over the years. I, I would meet them for dinner once in a while. We would talk on the phone every few months, but really, I didn't want much to do with them. I was just so selfish. Uh, but I think for parents, you know, if the Lord allows that relationship to be open, then, you know, then try and walk that road and try and love them, you know, and show them love the best you can with that relationship open. But if there are some that absolutely do cut their parents off, and, you know, if you're in that boat, if you're out there listening, you know, trust the Lord that he can reopen that door. He can repair these relationships no matter what they do. It's like the father of the prodigal son wouldn't have seen his son for a long time. However, they didn't have Facebook back then. Right. No. <laughs> there, there were no phone calls. And so I think for some of these parents, that, that does get very difficult. But I've talked to many that their, their kid may not talk to them for a year or two. And then all of a sudden they'll get a message from them and the Lord can bring their hearts back. So it went from bad to worse. So you didn't just take hormones. Like you, you told me more about the journey over how many years did it extend where you eventually got some surgeries? Like talk me through some of that. Well, the whole journey was almost nine years total. Um, at, it was about year two that I went to San Francisco and had a, an outpatient double mastectomy. Was that covered and by insurance or did you have to figure out how to pay for no, that? No, I had to pay for that out of pocket. It was about $8,000 plus the cost of the trip. Wow. And... I didn't have that kind of money at the time. I got a loan for it, wow. you know, but it was interesting because the Lord did a couple of major things on that um, in this surgery. 
And I just, I love the way that the Lord works. My aunt had written me an email right before I had gone to San Francisco. She wrote me this email and she said, Laura, please don't do this. You're being deceived by the devil. You are such a beautiful girl. Please run away from this. And I was mad and I didn't talk to her for a long time, but it had a profound impact on my life because as I was laying there on the operating table and I started looking down at all the purple dotted cut lines on my chest where the doctor had marked where he was going to cut me open, I began to really be afraid. And I thought, what if she's right? What if I really am in the hands of Satan? What if I wake up in hell? Mm. You know, and I, I was very, very scared. And so I, I said, Lord, I recognize this wasn't your will. And this was amazing for me. I hadn't prayed in years. I wanted nothing to do with God. But I, I said, I know this wasn't your will, but I have to do this. I, don't, I felt like I didn't have any other choice. By that point, I absolutely believed I had been born a man and that there was no way forward for me, that I really believed I could not live without transitioning. And so I, I just asked God to spare my life. You went through it and you came out yeah. of it and then you were like, you, it didn't solve all your problems. Like talked about that. No. Yeah. So after the surgery, uh, I quickly forgot God. I forgot my prayer, you know, and I, I was on my merry way, thought I would ride off into the sunset of freedom. But after the surgery, uh, I began to struggle with some depression a little bit. And, you know, I loved the physical results and I was happy and I like, I was now legally male. But my boss, who was a lesbian at the time. You changed uh, your name too and everything legally? Yes. Yeah, my name was Jacob and I was legally male. And she came to me one day and she said, look, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're moping around here. You're depressed. You're not working as hard. You're unmotivated. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I want the old Jake back. Hmm. And I was stunned because I was like, what do you mean? I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. You know, I hadn't realized how depressed I had been. And I, I said, you don't know what you're talking about. But I went home that night and I thought, what is she seeing in me that I'm not seeing in myself? And when I finally thought about it, I realized I had been very depressed, even though I was excited about the physical results. And I had all these fantasies about, you know, going swimming without a shirt and all these other things, you know, and, and not being called ma'am anymore. And, but I had been very depressed because I realized that my surgery hadn't made me a man. And that really began to get very, very depressing. And so um, then you were going to do more surgeries. Yeah, I, I, so I thought, you know, maybe another year of hormones, like maybe once the facial hair grows in more, maybe this, maybe that, then it will be real, you know, and I, a couple of years later, it's still not real. And I thought, okay, I, I, it's because I have all these female organs. Once I get all the female organs out of my body, then it will be real. You know, then I won't have any of the female hormones competing. And so you had and planned thought, to do a hysterectomy and a sex reassignment, or did you go through some yeah. of that? I went through some of that. I never had the genital reassignment, but I, I went through the full hysterectomy and had all the female organs removed. And once you have so, a diagnosis of, what was the diagnosis you were given? It is gender, it gender identity disorder. Yeah. So once you have that, like you could just go to the doctor, like there was, how hard was it to just be like, Hey, I want to do this. And they're like, okay, sign on the line. You schedule it for surgery. Was there any difficulty in getting that done? Pretty much. I mean, it was, no, it was very easy um, to, for the surgery. I had to have one uh, one final session with my therapist, so I went back for a fourth visit, and I had four visit, one four. one-hour session. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I had had three prior to the diagnosis, and then this one session, um, and then she wrote a letter for the surgeon, and that's all I needed was a letter of recommendation that yes, I'm trans. And, and, and how you uh, found this, the therapist was through the support group, I would guess, correct? 
Yes. So then it's like the, almost like there's, you know, you're going, it's like, I mean, you're going to find someone who already agrees with what you're going to do. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much bias. It's not even, wow, how does that even compute? Right. Yeah, it's a total setup from the enemy when you go to these support groups because everybody there, they are all trans. There's nobody, at least at this one, there there was nobody that had any voice of any other opinion or any other reason. Um, the, the leaders were all trans. And so all they're, they're there to affirm you if you have these feelings and to help put you on the path. And so it, no, it, it you like there was to, no other... You go to the surgery, you get the hysterectomy, and you're not even... 30, I mean, you're so young and you get that done and you don't even regret it. Like at that point, you're so walking in this tunnel of new identity in your mind. Like you think you're fine. And then you almost get reassigned. Like you get to that point. What, what shifted then? Well, I I really was beginning to worry that this was never going to be real because I, I realized that there was something deeper than just the physical body parts, but I still was convinced that this is who I was. So I was like, well, I've got to get as close as possible. You know, like maybe after the final surgery, then it will all be real. And when I started looking into the genital reassignment surgeries, I was devastated to realize how fake it all was, that it was never going to be real and how horrific these surgeries are and that they maim these poor girls. I mean, it's awful. I, I know of one girl that's had 31 corrective surgeries because it's gone so bad and she's not alone. I mean, that's the highest I've heard of but there have been many that have had many, many corrective surgeries and they, they have all kinds of problems with them. A lot of these girls will lose all sexual feeling of, or at least some. And it's just, they really, they should call it sexual mutilation. It's not reassignment. It's never going to be real. When did you kind of say, like, I know your mom, I mean, I know the other side of the story from the documentary, but they're in praying for you for nine years. She changes her in the meantime, like, like when did you start seeing that your mom and you, like when did you start reestablishing a relationship with her? Was that come later or, 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 you know, kind of bring us to the point of redemption, I guess. Yeah, that was probably about that same time. And uh, so I had been in contact with her, but very, very little. And she had asked me to make a website for her Bible study. And, you know, she had no idea the Lord was going to use this. This wasn't like her plan to fix it. It was not a strategy, right? God bless her. I mean, really, it is funny because that, that would be my mom's strategy. It's like, here, I want you to like, <laughs> but she really genuinely needed help. And you're a computer person. And the, and the funny thing was my mom had tried for 30 years to fix me. I mean, she really had. So in her old flesh, this is absolutely, she would have come up with like some scheme. And uh, but the Lord had told her at one point, he said, Francine, only one of us is going to work on her. If you want to work on her, I'll go sit down. But if you want me to work on her, you go sit down and you get in the word and you work on your relationship with me and I will work on Laura. Wow. And so that's a promise he made to her. So she really, she just very innocent. She just needed a website and she didn't have any clue how to do that, but she knew that I did. And I wasn't like, I wasn't a real professional. I had done this a little in college, but I, I was skilled enough to do it. And so as I did though, I began to summarize the lessons and she hadn't even asked me to do that part. I, I just thought that would be a good idea. And so I had to read the lessons. And for the first time in my life, I began to see the, the heart and the character of God. Wow. You know, one of my life verses is Psalm 107.20, which says, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Wow. And that's kind of what the Lord began to do. In Romans, you know how it says, It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So as He 
um, I began to see the goodness of who he was, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, and these things in her lessons that were just blowing me away. What was she? Was always, I was curious, so curious to know. Was it a book of the yeah. Bible? Do you remember? Uh, no, it was really what I began to see was God's faithfulness to Israel. Wow. And I was amazed at how um, he would make these promises to them and then they would rebel against him. But he told them what would happen if they would rebel. But he would always say, this will happen to you. But if you will cry out to me and repent, I will bring you back. And you would see this pattern over and over and over. Right. And then the other thing that really blew me away was how he foreshadowed the Messiah all this time. Like I always, I could never connect this angry judgmental God with this, you know, loving Jesus. And it never made any sense. But when I saw this was God's plan all along and how he prepared them and he made all these prophecies and he was always telling them of this coming redeemer. That's really what began to blow me away was that like God had this plan all along to rescue us. It was never like we were never expected to figure it out and to like work our way toward God. He was always pointing them to his salvation. Wow. So you started reading the Bible or you were just doing those lessons? and Yeah. Well, I started calling my mom every day and asking her questions because I was so wow. curious about the Bible. And so I had gone from almost never calling her to calling her every single day. And it was through that six months that I really saw the change in her. And when the Lord finally really opened my eyes to how much she had changed, it was at that moment that I knew the gospel was true. And it was like how all of a sudden- like, ways, like she just wasn't attacking you or judging you or- well, when I was little, I was, she'll tell you in her own testimony that she was kind of a legalistic Pharisee. You know, she was doing a lot for God, but not really spending any time with him. Really the same way she, my relationship with her was, um, you know, always sort of on this performance treadmill for God, as she says, mm-hmm. you know, so hard in her own flesh to check all the right boxes, but not abiding in the vine, not having that relationship. And she was always stressed out. She, I mean, I remember just the stress in her when I was younger and just always kind of yelling and just not having any peace, really. Mm-hmm. But when I began to talk to her all these years later, she really was filled with faith and peace. And, you know, I said, Mom, what's happened to me? All, six months ago, I was 180 degrees from where I am now. Mm-hmm. She said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. It's like, Wow. That's incredible. It was like God answered your prayer specifically. I mean, I couldn't explain it. I had not wanted God, but God had drawn me back. And so that was when I really began to turn back toward the Lord. And I gave my heart to the Lord. And through this incredible encounter that I detail more in my book, but I had this incredible encounter with the Lord where he proved to me that he was not done with me yet. Because I didn't think God would save me. Because I thought I am too far gone. I have done too much. I've sinned so much. I there were times in high school I was praying to Satan, asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus. I thought, why would God want me? But He proved to me that He was not done with me yet. And I was so radically transformed through this that I was zealous for the Lord and I was so hungry for His word. I began sharing with all my friends and I was listening to some kind of Christian teaching or audio Bible all day long, every day at work. <laughs> I was completely changed. I was a completely different person. And I really began um, just thought, well, this is great. I'm going to be a man of God. Wow. But I, uh, he began to convict me very, very slowly. And throughout that um, next year and a half or so. Did you start going to church and you were like, just like a man at church who loved God? Or tell us about that a little. Because I would imagine that would be the hardest thing is to kind of transition back into quote unquote church world. Well, I never got involved in church at the time. And I think it was because 
um, one, I don't know if I was afraid or I think I was being afraid of them. I was afraid of them finding out. Yeah. But I, I really, I had so much wounds from the church from mm-hmm. growing up and just, I grew up in a very dead church and I hated church growing up. So I was really in love with the Lord, but I didn't really want anything to do with church at the time. And, you know, I thought I, I can just be a Christian sort of outside of that, mm-hmm. you know, but I really was growing and I was very, very genuine. But one time the the Lord I had heard my mom talking about the judgment seat of Christ. That's what she was teaching on one time. And I, I was so convicted by that. And I thought I knew I was not ready to stand before the Lord because as much as I was zealous for the Lord, I knew I was still living for the flesh in a lot of ways too. And so I, I went home and I just threw myself on the floor and I said, Lord, what do you want from me? I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you know, and I, what do you want from my life? And he asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? Mm. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) like, wait a minute, that's not fair. Had it crossed your mind that after you kind of had this fresh start with God, like I'll say, whatever you want to call it, had it crossed your mind about that you might be living a sinful life being trans at that point? Or was it not even a a feature until that night? Yeah, I mean, I had thought about it quite a few times and it was, but it was always like, okay, God, I recognize this wasn't your will, but it's a little too late for yeah. me now. I've had these surgeries. I've repented. I'm, and I right. thought since I'd repented, I was good, you know? Right, right. Um, that was the first time where I was confronted with, like, did God want me to change? And he reminded me of John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. Wow. And there was a moment where I thought I was being condemned because I didn't, I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't, I, I knew I could. No, I would be like, what do you want me to do? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. So and what so did you do? This is, well, this in the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, I heard the Lord whisper to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. Wow. And it, it's not like God didn't say, let me tell you who you were or who I intended you to be. God said, let me tell you who you are. And I realized at that moment, and this is really what began to free me. I realized at that moment that no matter what I did to my body, no matter how much I'd sin, no matter where, how far I'd run, I was never going to be anyone other than who he had created. And I think I knew at that moment that I was only going to find peace being who he created and coming into alignment with that. But I didn't know what to do, you know, but I... Um, I, I didn't want to admit that was possible. There was so much pain there. Every time I thought about being female, it was like a knife going through my soul. And I thought, Lord, I cannot do that. And there was about a two month period where the Lord really withdrew his presence from me. And I had been on fire for the Lord. And in those two months, I felt like my soul had just been ripped out. I was so, um, there was this deep void in me. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was barely getting through work. It's a miracle. I didn't get fired from my job because I don't even know how I got through that couple of months. And I, for during that time, I begged the Lord. I was coming home night after night, just begging the Lord to take my life because I saw no way out. And I finally, I, I, I pictured myself in this deep, dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And I could see the light at the top, but I had no way out. And he, um, he reminded me of the verse out of Matthew 16, it says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I knew he was asking me to leave everything. And I thought, what if I hang on to this because I can't see a way out and I end up losing it all? And uh, I had a clear vision of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into this pit of his end. And he just asked me, do you trust me? Wow. And I didn't have, I honestly, I don't know. I did not have enough faith at that time. But Jesus said, if you have faith as, as small as a mustard seed, you, you know, wow. you can move mountains. And I think just, it was like, I don't have that kind of faith, but I knew that I couldn't continue to live as a man. And I knew I could not continue to live in sin. And so I said, okay, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I honestly thought I would be miserable the rest of my life. Right. But I walked away from it all out of obedience to him. I left my partner, my job that I didn't. You were with someone at the time. Yeah, I the, my partner that I'd been with for eight years. I called him my wife. You know, he was also trans. Did he think you lost your mind? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting. I, I think the Lord had prepared us. I had become like his own personal missionary for a couple yeah. of years. I came home every night talking about what the Lord was doing. So in for several months before that, I'd been talking about how I'd been called. I knew I'd been called into ministry, but I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And um, I'd started going like and trying to witness to to people on the street and stuff. And so he knew that I was really getting zealous about my faith. And uh, he wanted to go live out with his brother in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. And I'm like, I knew I was not called to that. So we had already been talking about maybe the Lord is. Um, calling us apart, but it was still very, very painful. Mm -hmm. You know, so he didn't think I was crazy. I don't think, but um, at the same time, it was really hard. So, so practically speaking, so you break up the relationship, you move out. Did you start wearing like girl clothes? I mean, how do you like how do you transition back? Practically speaking, well, I didn't know, and I didn't have any former. Um, I knew of one other former transgender that we had talked quite a bit. Uh, but I didn't know any other female to males. I didn't know what this was. Was that person was. also saved or was it somebody who just. Yes. No, this was it. And he was radically on fire for the Lord, but he was a male to female. So, and he'd never had any surgery. So I didn't know what it, my life was going to look like. And for the first couple of years, I didn't have um, breasts. I, you know, now I have a bra that has some prosthetic breasts. Yeah. At the time I didn't, I just had a flat chest, but I, I started to wear some pretty androgynous clothes at first. I was trying to look feminine, but uh, actually the first day I showed up at church, I had on a skirt and I just felt so weird. I'd so out of place. And I was I had this horrible identity crisis. I lived for almost nine years being called Jake and living in this world where I was only known as male. And I went to church with um, a girl's shirt and a skirt and everybody calling me Laura. I didn't realize how many people from my old church, this was my parents' home church. Wow. How many people? going to recognize me. And they were all calling me Laura and, oh, it's so good to see you. And even though that was healing in some way, it was also very, very difficult. And I had this serious identity crisis. And for the first three days, I didn't think I could get through it, but the Lord just kept carrying me through. And I finally, my mom on um, a few days into it, she gave me this pile of cards from the ladies in her Bible study. Mm. These women had like poured out their hearts to me. They had been praying for me for years and they just began to tell me like how excited they were to meet me, how proud they were of me. And they were, you know, all these things. And I was like, okay, I, I can't disappoint them. You mm. know? And they, on top of that, they had raised over $1,600 to buy me a new wardrobe. Wow. I was so overwhelmed by that. And just their love for me. I had never felt that kind of love from women. 
And so when I showed up at the Bible study, these women surrounded me with so much love. And they just, I remember it was like we hear the the father of the prodigal son and how he fell on him and kissed him and just wept over him. Mm. And that's what these women were doing. And just the joy that they had. And some of them were just shouting. They were so excited. Mm. And they, they just embraced me as one of the women. I mean, I've been out of the lifestyle for like three or four days, you know, and all, I'm just being accepted as one of the women. And there wasn't, there was no longer this rejection of, oh, you look too masculine or you act too much like a boy. Mm. They accepted me as one of them. And it was like the lie just broke off of me. You know, it took a long time to heal and to embrace being a woman. But that really at that moment, because of the love of those women, it really broke off of me. And I knew I was not meant to be trans. How long is that? uh, That was uh, July of 2016. So it was about four years, five years ago now. And you look very much like a woman. There's no question in in anybody's mind now. Like medically speaking, like, did you go back on, I mean, do you just go back on hormones? I mean, were you worried that you would have facial hair the rest of your life? And like, tell, tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, I still have to shave every day. So I, I have some things that will never go away. Um, my my voice is not nearly as low as it was, but it's not as high I as mean, it I was. think my voice in the morning is lower than yours. A lot of patients call me sir on the phone until eight o'clock. Oh, morning. really? I've joked about that. that. Yeah, and <laughs> it's no, that's you know some women deal with that. So well, you know, it's okay. It's like you just whatever. But I mean, I, I, right. I've joked about. It. I did a podcast on the pronouns. And I said I want to use pronouns because it bugs me sometimes. But it's awkward <laughs> to a patient halfway through the conversation. Actually, it's now you know it's just it's an awkward thing. But so right. you no, know, like you genuinely in every way, like no one would look at you now and think that there's a threat of guy in you. I mean, which again, yeah, is such a testimony to God because I think you went so far and yet God has brought you so yeah. him. It's just, you, your testimony is unbelievable, Laura. And I, it's so countercultural. I mean, how, what has been yeah. some of the ramifications of all of this in this era of LGBTQ? Uh, you know, I, I would imagine people would call you from the other side, from the LGBTQ side, like a heretic and like denying yourself and whatnot. Tell us maybe a little bit yeah. about that in, in, in this cultural yeah. context. I get all kinds of reactions. Uh, some people have definitely sent a lot of hate toward me. Uh, some people have said just my testimony, they'll say is hateful. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be responsible for trans people taking their lives. And, you know, just so many lies of the devil. But, um, but honestly, I, the Lord has given me such a compassion and I realize how deceived they are. And I remember thinking those same things, you know, and I remember the hate I had toward Christians. And I remember the deception I was in. And so I, I just pray for them and I, I love them and I keep sharing with them if I can. Um, you know, I don't force it on anybody, but if they want to keep talking, I will. But, you know, uh, I've got to keep being a light because the, um, the the darkness cannot overcome the light. When the light shines, the darkness flees. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep being a light. I'm going to keep sharing my story and, and sharing what God is doing. Yeah, what's your support network now? Like, how do you stay up when you get a lot of hate stuff and well i have an incredible uh ministry that i work called uh, work for called first stone ministries here in oklahoma city and uh, we all have uh testimonies of coming out of sexual brokenness of some kind mm. um various various lifestyles and identities but so we are very supportive of each other we all get this kind of hate and pushback um, but I'm also connected with lots of other people in this kind of ministry and just the, the church as well. I found so many churches uh, that have been supportive. Actually, this is what's so cool. The Lord uh, 
even before I left the lifestyle, I remember hearing this Bible study teacher one day say, um, I can tell how much you love the Lord by how much you love his bride. And that convicted me so much because I did not have a love for the church at the time. And I, I began to pray for the Lord to give me a love for the church. And today I, I have such a love for his bride and for the church. And I love to be, so I, um, I go to many different churches. I travel and speak and I, there's nothing that I love more than being with the body of Christ. So that's always helpful that I, I have so many different things I'm involved in and different church groups and home fellowships. And hmm. uh, so I think that's been helpful. To be in a relationship someday, or is that something that you feel like God has just given you a heart to be single, celibate? I mean, tell me more about sort of your- I haven't right figured now. that out. Yeah. <laughs> I would love, honestly, and I went through a season, I really, really want to be married. Um, hmm. But it's been hard being single. And I'm like, Lord, have you called me to be single? He hasn't really answered that yet. Hmm. I, I, you know, I've, I really do think that God has um, promised me a husband, but I I don't know when that will be. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, but I, he's brought me to a place last year. He told me, um, I, I don't remember what I gotten convicted by something. Oh, it was this verse in Isaiah that talks about how he will be a, um, a husband. Mm. Um, it says, my maker will be my husband. And I remember that pierced me to the heart. And I was like, I had this immediate reaction of like, Lord, I don't, I don't want you to be my husband. And then I was so convicted. And I was like, Oh yes, I do. Yes, I do. Like, don't go away. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I'm like, but I wanted a, I'm like, I want a, a physical man, like somebody to hold and to be held. And, you know, especially physical touch is so important for me, but I was like, okay, Lord. And I wrestled with the Lord all summer. And I finally came to this place where I felt like the Lord was saying, um, make me your husband first. Or I think he said, let me be a husband to you first. And so I don't know if I will ever get married, but I've really learned to let him be my husband. And I'm, t- I'm so much more fulfilled than I was as I've let the Lord um, truly be a husband to me in, in ways that a, that a man never could. Um, and I've learned to be secure in myself. And I realized I'd had an entire life. Uh, one thing I didn't address, because I had this juxtaposition of always feeling like a boy and yet dating boys. I, when I was three years old, they found me and this other boy kissing in the closet. And like, they've said, we were like making out and we were three years old. We called each other. And so I think he had been sexually abused. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, we had, we called each other boyfriend and girlfriend until we were 12. And then so all of my formative years, I had this identity of being belonging to somebody. Hmm. And so it was very difficult. And I think that's why I had such sexual brokenness and why I was sleeping around with anybody and everybody trying so hard to keep a boyfriend because, or, or even when the boys started rejecting me, there were, like I said, there were times I pursued girls, but it was always, I just didn't want to be alone. And mm. so I think the Lord has had to take me through a season of learning that I don't need that as part of my identity. I'm, I'm not worth more if I'm married. And he had to undo a lot of that. And so for the first time in my life, I'm secure in being single. That's, I mean, it's it's evident that you have a vibrant relationship with the Lord, Laura, and it, it moves me so much. It makes us want to be even closer to him. And it's awesome. Before we end, how do you, before we give also how the people can connect with you, what, how do you think the church is doing in relating to specifically the transgender, but, inter- but generally in the LGBTQ movement? And what word would you encourage the church with now? Like, how are we doing and what can we do better? What would you encourage the church with? 
I think for the most part, the church is doing a lot better. Uh, there are many churches, unfortunately, that are affirming this and they are just celebrating and embracing it. And you see over time that these churches get more and more celebrating pride and LGBT and not, you know, not worshiping the Lord. But churches that are standing on the word of God, they're beginning to really talk about these issues. And I think it will help young people. Mm-hmm. And when and when people see a pastor that will speak about this issue and with compassion and truth, they know that they are safe to come to and talk to. Um, if it's just never talked about and all they hear is that people that live in sexual sin are going to hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, people need to hear there are real consequences for our sin. But at the same time, there has to be there's an answer for this. There is healing. There is hope. There is transformation in Christ. You don't have to be bound to that. And so I think the churches are just now in the last year or two really beginning to talk about this. And I think um, there's beginning to be a lot more resources. There's a documentary I was in called um, In His Image from the American Family Studios. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a great offering to the church of truth and compassion. Um, and I, so I think churches are really beginning to do a better job. And I just want to encourage churches, don't be afraid of this issue. Stand on the word of God. Lead, let the Holy Spirit lead. I'll give just a quick story of another girl. Uh, she showed up at church. She was wearing men's clothing, but it was obvious she was still a girl. And she was very hard, though. She was, had a lot of anger. And the pastor, led by the Holy Spirit, called her up to the front of the church. And she's thinking, oh, great, here it goes. He's going to kick me out, you know. Um, and he embraces her in the biggest bear hug, and he begins to speak the truth over her. And he said, you are a beautiful daughter of God. You know, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. And I don't know what all he said, but something along those lines, but called her a daughter of God. And she was so stunned. She didn't know what to do with that. You know, right. and so she walked out of the church, you know, and he probably didn't know whether he had any impact. Maybe I made the wrong decision or, but he felt led to do it. But she got saved a few months later and wow. she still credits that pastor with having the courage to speak the truth she needed to hear, and it was healing to her. Well, right. I mean, you hear that and you think, gosh, you wouldn't call anybody up to the front line. Right. Bold. And that's, I mean, I think you, you, you also in your testimony, you reference so much how God speaks so vividly to you. And I know yeah. that people, like, I think people can be so even opinionated in the Christian circles about that, but you, we have a relationship with a living God who speaks to us yeah. through the word. And like, I think sometimes we're afraid of this language and like moving out on the movement of the spirit and you never know like how God will lead us. That's, I think that's just such a beautiful part of your walk with the Lord too, Laura. And I, I just, I just, I, I can't get enough of your story. I think it's incredible what God has done in your life, but more so, and I've talked to you about it at the conference. I mean, your knowledge of the word of God, this is not verses you knew from growing up. Like you now memorize scripture regularly. Tell us yeah. maybe about that too. Yeah, it's been a huge part of my life. And I'm so glad that you brought this up. Um, you know, there's so many promises to us from the, the word, even about hiding it in our heart. Um, you know, it says, I have hidden my thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it keeps us from sin. And I have a, a big list on my website of all the things that it does. But I've found um, it's a huge part of sharing the gospel with people. So, uh, how do you? you know, people, what's your system to memorize? Like you just put verses or sections or what? Uh, both, actually. It, uh, I'm memorizing uh, the book of Romans right now, so I've memorized whole chapters, but I also memorize a lot of individual verses. But I have a. Um, I used to memorize them when I was younger with flashcards. That works great. But I have an app now that I really like called Bible Memory. Um, and there's a free version or a, uh, paid version, but the paid version is pretty cheap. 
but it's totally worth it. And you can store as many verses as you want on it. It tracks your progress. It, it has little um, ways to fill it in. Anyway, it's just check it out. It's very, very easy to use. And um, I got a friend, uh, I've been encouraging my friends to do this. And I had one that she told me she couldn't memorize. And I was like, well, just try, just try this one. So I got her hooked on it. And after a few months, she has memorized more scripture than most Christians have. Was that app you mean? Just with the mm-hmm. app? I'm downloading yeah. it as we speak. I'm just so, yeah, yeah. I'm totally doing it. From, it's called Bible Memory Pro. It's awesome. I mean, this is incredible. I love your testimony. I love your life. And I, I, I don't want any of the pain you went through, but what God has done in your life is incredible, Laura. Yeah. And I, I just want to just affirm everything that is happening in your life and pray for you because I think really there are not that many people who are loudly speaking this truth and uh, we we are behind yeah. you. How do people connect with you? Is, are you? You have a website. Tell us a little bit about that. Your book is on your on Amazon. Tell me a little bit about some of this stuff. Yeah, my website is transgender to transformed.com and that's uh, transgender and then transformed. So okay, it's the we'll same have as that. Book yeah, we'll have that link book. in the podcast notes, and then okay, you can sell your book there as well as on Amazon. Yep, yeah, yep, either place, and uh, and then I work for First Stone Ministries, so you can go to firststone.org. And that's not the number one. It's spelled out F-I-R-S-T-S-T-O-N-E dot org. Um, and you can contact me there as well. And we have tons of resources on both si- uh, both sites. Uh, First Stone has a lot on homosexuality. Mine is more geared toward trans. Um, but there's great resources on both sites. And for both parents and people who are struggling through this? or Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I write most of mine. I do write directly to trans people. Sometimes I actually, my burden and my calling really is to the church. That's where I really feel called into parents. So I, I write actually a lot to, to parents and to encourage people in their faith. So yeah, that's kind of my burden. Well, and I, if, if people catch your, uh, your, the, the, folks on the family video that the five six minute video that's the story of your mom is there too just an encouragement to parents i'm going to try to link all this stuff stuff up in the podcast man it has been awesome to have you i rarely break the one hour mark but it was worth every minute for <laughs> i'm so grateful Thank for the you. time you've us today and um hey if, uh, guys i know you're still listening because I, I don't think i could I, I mean i was just so riveted by the story and i i know you guys have enjoyed this podcast so share it with your friends listen let us be light bearers we have the light of christ in us so let us live yes. the truth that christ has put in us i love you guys we'll catch each other again next week remember that you can get tons of free resources at livingwithfire.org you can also email me on the contact page that comes straight to me on our website you can also click on join our community which is our thursday night live bible study on facebook i would love to meet you in person and if you need prayer please send an email have a great day remember that god is for you he's called you by name by your god-given name and so if you are in, in any way questioning your life purpose right now reach out we'd love to pray with you and direct you towards christ take care